your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. It's page 835 in the black Bibles around you, if you're using those. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what we often call the Great Commission passage at the end of Matthew's gospel. Let me read for us. Uh, This is God's holy word to you. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is God's word for us. You may be seated. God, would you bless and add your understanding to the reading and now preaching of your holy word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the mission of the church? What's the mission of the church? Why does the church exist? Who are we called to be? What are we called to do? If you surveyed people, uh, certainly out there in the world, even those who claim Christ, you would have a variety of answers, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them ugly. Um, but even in our midst, if, if we just said right now, and we, we took a, another survey and said, what's the mission of the church? Uh, there would be, uh, even within uh, good, faithful answers, there would be certain emphases uh, that you might find yourself more maybe on one side or the other side. Uh, Let's just simplify it, because that's more fun, and say there's two sides. And you might find yourself resonating, and and maybe think about, where do I resonate most? On one side, uh, the person answers and says, the mission of the church is the worship of God, period. We were made to glorify and enjoy God forever. So when I look at Matthew 28, I, I, see, I see worship, I see the Word of God, I see the sacraments in, in baptism and, and by implication the Lord's Supper. Uh, God has called us to worship Him, He's given us the means of grace to do so. Uh, Matthew 28 is about our identity, whose we are. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The church is most the church when we're gathered together worshiping the triune God, okay? No, 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 says the other, although they would agree with that. No, 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 the church is most the church when we are going and making disciples of all nations. Uh, The church is called to radical obedience, to radically follow Jesus as her captain, as as her leader, as her savior, and to go and evangelize, to go and to serve. When I look at Matthew 28, I see go, and I see make disciples, and I see baptize, and I see teach, and I see the nations. And so the church is most the church. The church is being most faithful when it's active, when it's following its commander and going and bringing in the nations. Where do you resonate, maybe, uh, with those I know you're a, you're a perfect balance, so that's good. Good for you. Um, what if the Great Commission spoke to both the gathering of the church and the scattering of the church? Uh, what if Jesus in this passage speaks to both our identity, whose we are, and our mission, what we are to do in response? Uh, let me 
give an analogy, and, and if you'll bear with me, we'll keep returning to it throughout the sermon. Um, it's it, 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 the idea of, you know, imagine a, a, a ship a, 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 of days of old, like a massive, wonderful, well-built ship, right? Uh, that has a, a sailing mechanism, but also at times the oars come out. And so there's so many jobs to be done from scrubbing the decks to manning the oars. Uh, in our analogy, if we're thinking, what's the mission of the church? The church already is like this ship. The church already has a captain, Jesus, and he continues to be. Uh, the church already has some appointed uh, leaders and those that Jesus uses. The, the ship is already built. Uh, praise God, when we come on Wednesday for our vision night, we're not gonna have, we might have a whiteboard because it's fun, but we're not going to have a whiteboard and say, hey, what's the mission of the church? Um, how do we come up with something that will float on water? <laughs> No, uh, the church has been established. The church is on the move. It's going to the nations. He gives us the mission. He gives us the means to get there. And in every age, he equips his people to serve with the gifts that he's given them. We'll return to that analogy, but you'll see in your bulletin, uh, the mission of the church is to make disciples. The mission of the church is to make disciples. That's what we see here in our passage. Um, and so we turn there first. Uh, in some ways, point zero is make disciples. What does that even mean? And who is called to make disciples? I want to convince you that this passage is for you. Um, as a body first, uh, and then as individuals. What does it mean to make disciples? Well, let's set the context, of course, uh, as we're sort of parachuting in here at the end of Matthew's gospel. Much of what we remember from Luke's gospel would apply here. Obviously, as it, as it speaks of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his commissioning of the disciples. Uh, but for uh, Matthew, writing in the 60s AD, this is really literally the bookend of his gospel. And it, it's amazing, he starts his gospel by saying that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And now we have those same themes finishing off the gospel as Jesus comes as king, under, just like the son of David, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, and then he says, go make disciples of what? All nations. And what was the promise to Abraham? Uh, Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Jesus is the greater David, the greater Abraham. And this is all being fulfilled so that we come then after the death, resurrection. He tells the women to tell the disciples, meet me on this hill in Galilee. And Jesus comes here and gives them this great commission. Verse 17 says, uh, when they saw him, they worshiped him, uh, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What does it mean to make disciples? Uh, you might be aware that it's hard to tell in the English, but the only imperative in our passage, the only command, direct command, is make disciples. So that's sort of the driving force. That's why the title of the sermon is the mission of the church is to make disciples. Everything else is uh, what's called a participle. We would normally translate it with an ing, like running, going, um, sleeping, etc. So here you would say make disciples is the driving command. And in a minute we're going to say, well, how do we make disciples? What does that look like? We're going to say by going, by baptizing, by teaching. So what does make disciples mean? We need to understand here. Well, a disciple is one who sits under a rabbi. 
Uh, a disciple is one who sits under a teacher. Uh, Jesus is the great prophet, the great teacher, and priest and king. And he gathered first 12 disciples to himself, and then there was a larger group of disciples. And that's exactly who he's commissioning here, these 11, after Judas betrayed him. A disciple is one who sits at the master's feet, loving him, wanting to learn from him, growing from him, uh, taking their marching orders from him, all of it. Uh, all the heart, soul, mind, strength. So you could say a disciple is a worshiper, just as they do. They see Jesus and they worship him, and he doesn't correct them because he is fully God and fully man. And so you could see how uh, those two sides from earlier sort of merged together, that yes, we go make disciples, and the end of that is that we would gather in worshipers of the one true and living God. As, uh, as someone uh, smarter than me has said, uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. The end of missions, when we pray for our missionaries, is that they would bring disciples who would worship the one true and living God. And so this is what it means to make a disciple, to have someone go from being a sinner, a rejecter of God, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, receiving and resting upon him alone, becoming his disciple, receiving forgiveness, having their eyes opened by the Spirit, they're now a disciple. And Jesus tells the eleven, go and make disciples. That's what I want you to do. But we have to ask, who makes disciples? And is this passage for me? Well, first and foremost, we could say, well, God makes disciples, right? In an ultimate sense, only God makes disciples. None of us can go make someone into something that they're not, right? God makes disciples. God takes someone from a state of wrath to a state of grace. Um, on Sunday evening, we've been talking about the ordo salutis or the order of salvation. And we've emphasized all the actions of God. God elects a people. God calls a people. God changes the hearts of a people. God justifies a people. God then sanctifies and one day glorifies a people. And we, by faith, receive and rest upon Christ and his work. God is the one who makes disciples, and yet he is determined to use a people. It's amazing to think about that God would use people to do this. And so now we ask, who is called to make disciples? Well, first, uh, the astute will say, well, first of all, who did Jesus' words come to but the 11 on this mountain in Galilee? Uh, so first and foremost, the 11, the apostles, which means sent ones, uh, they were the ones who were called most directly to make disciples. God was commissioning them. The book of Acts and all the New Testament plays out that these apostles then went out, made disciples of all the nations, Jew and Gentile. The world was turned upside down. And we see in Ephesians 2.20 then that uh, the New Testament church of which we're a part of was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. To use our ship analogy, if you'll allow it, um, we don't continue to have apostles on the ship. Um, if anything, they're more like the, like the boards or the, the foundation of the ship uh, on which we stand and on which we always turn back to. We are carrying on the very same message that they received from Jesus. And nobody else in our age will be called to be an apostle. And so, first and foremost, it was to them. Secondly, then, it, this passage was for the early church. Matthew was writing to the church in about 60 AD, 60 to 70 AD, 30-some years after Jesus dies and rises again. 
And you have to always ask, why did the Holy Spirit preserve and bring this passage to the ears of his people? Because he's the one who did. Certainly to teach them that there was a foundational aspect of the apostles, but then I believe as well to receive the same commission, go and make disciples of all nations. First as the church, and then individually. First Peter 2.9, uh, he calls the church a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, that they would proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. That was their commission, that's our commission as well. And so, Christian, this passage is for you. This great commission is for you. First and foremost, corporately, uh, the church with a capital C has received the great commission. And the ship, as it were, is on the move. Um, and we get to be one small part of it. It's incredibly freeing, right? Um, it's incredibly freeing to know that not all of us play the exact same role on the ship. Um, some are calling out in, in a much more direct way or gifted in street evangelism. Uh, some of us are inviting people over to our homes and getting to know them over a period of time and, and, and speaking about the Bible and, and, and answering questions they might have. Some of us are serving in the nursery right now and not hearing what I'm saying uh, because they're pouring out and using their gifts. And all of that is being used by God for the sake of his kingdom. And so first and foremost, corporately, but then that pours out into the ministry of every member. We've looked at 1 Peter 4.10, that we've, we've each received a gift, and, and it's like a stewardship that we have from God that we steward well and we use for his glory. Not everyone's a hand, not everyone's a head, not everyone's a foot, uh, but all of us are called to carry out the Great Commission, both as we gather and then as we scatter back into the week. So, if you're convinced that this passage is for you, how does Jesus say that we make disciples? We'll look at three things. One, by going. Number two, by baptizing. And number three, by teaching. So first, by going. Uh, by going. Um, and, and, and here, perhaps, is where that second group from the beginning is like, yes. <laughs> it says go, and, and we need to emphasize that. It says all nations, and we need to emphasize that. But before that, it says all authority. I look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here we see Jesus as the king who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, protecting, sustaining, growing his church. It's the king who says that the gospel will go to the nations. It's the king who says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Nations rise and fall, but the church will continue until Christ comes back. Are you, we're hungry for this, aren't we? Aren't we hungry for someone to come to us with authority and say that they actually know something that's true and they actually know something about where we should head? That's why there's loud, unhelpful voices that are calling many people to themselves right now because we are hungry for someone who will just say, I found it, this is it. I have the authority to tell you this. But here Jesus isn't playing games. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Every knee will bow to Jesus one day, whether willingly or unwillingly. That's the king that we serve. That's the captain of the ship, to use our analogy. And so he authorizes his people. He doesn't just say, this is a good idea, or I'm calling you to do it, but you're on your own. 
No, he captains the ship. It moves forward on his authority. Like an ambassador who speaks for the king, we are commissioned uh, to do the same. And this all authority, uh, this great commission goes to all peoples, to all nations. And this has both breadth and depth. Uh, breadth that the, that the gospel will go to the very ends of the earth, as we're a product of, aren't we? On, on the west coast of the United States, hearing the gospel, which started in Israel 2,000 years ago. And it's going to the nations, but also in depth, all kinds of people, all people groups, as the word itself really means, ethne or ethnicity, people groups. Within any nation, there's multiple people groups. And, and, and within our lives, there's a myriad of individual people who need the gospel. And so first, the, the, the breadth of it. Uh, the Joshua Project, if you're not familiar with them, uh, they're a group. You can go to their website or they have an app, and they do research uh, into and, and, and encourage prayer and giving toward uh, what they call unreached people groups. Unreached people groups is the term. And unreached people groups can mean anything from uh, many of them who have, I mean, literally never heard the name of Jesus Christ in their own language or otherwise. Uh, all the way to a group that perhaps has heard some preaching of the gospel, but there's not enough indigenous Christians there that there would be a church and, and pastors and elders raised up, sending out, planting other churches. There's no presence there. Uh, there's only sort of outside missionaries pouring in, trying to, trying to till the ground and bring that to fruition. That's what an unreached people group is. Uh, the Joshua Project estimates that there are somewhere around 17,000 people groups in the world, probably more, uh, of them, 7,253 are uh, deemed unreached people groups. That's 42% of the people groups on planet Earth now that have either barely heard the name of Jesus or have never heard it. In a population of, let's say, 8 billion, uh, that means that 3.4 billion people are living somewhere where they have no access to the gospel of Jesus. Now, it this can be both encouraging and discouraging. It's encouraging in if you look at world history, right? We're in this unprecedented time where over half the earth's population is hearing the gospel preached to them. 100, 200 years ago, I mean, that would have blown people's minds to think that the gospel has reached that far and is only growing. And yet when we think about the blessing that we have here, we're going to worship twice today and hear the gospel twice and go home and open our Bibles and read them in our own language. The mission is far from over, is it not? The Joshua Project also says that 90% of all missionaries work among the already reached peoples of the world. And that's necessary. Don't hear that as saying, stop doing that. Um, but 90% of missionaries, for every dollar of Christian resources given around the world, Less than a penny is directed at reaching unreached people groups. So people of God, we have work to do, don't we? And it's not just on your shoulders. It's the church with a capital C. And, and young people, it's you. Um, if you would take up this call uh, to, to think through, pray through uh, these missionaries that we have now serving in difficult places. Uh, as, as you consider whether God might be calling you to serve on a short-term basis, long-term basis. There's so many resources out there that can connect you with the right uh, places and right people. As, as some have put it, there's, 
you know, how do we participate in this, this going of the gospel to all the nations? Well, we can, number one, we can radically go. Number two, we can radically send or some combination of the two. Uh, when we prayed for our missionaries in the Czech Republic, they are radically going. And there are so many others that we could list who are, who are going either right on the field or translation work. I mean, there's medical work. There's so much work being done. But there are always many more who are radically sending. Radically sending. That means giving of resources. That means praying regularly. Uh, this OPC offering we keep talking about, the, the largest chunk goes toward our foreign missions because our denomination looks at Matthew 28 and says we need to set our priorities. Foreign missions, home missions, uh, Christian education, building up those in our midst. And that's a good place to start. But pray as a family. You know, use the Joshua Project. Use those OPC resources. Pray. Pray for these missionaries. Pray that God would raise up more who would be called to go. And then it's, that's the, the breadth. In the depth, it's all of life. It's around our tables. It's the friends and family that we know. And again, we're not all built the same. Some of us are gifted to be much more direct. Some of us um, uh, different. I remember uh, Rosaria Butterfield uh, if you know her story at all of, of conversion, it's a powerful story. And she says that she sat with her pastor, she sort of jokingly says, for 8,000 meals before they really started talking about the gospel and, and being challenged. And, um, and so there's different ways that God uses us. And so it's going, but even as you go, wherever you go, in that Deuteronomy 6 sense. So our mission is to make disciples, one, by going, number two, by baptizing, so if the one group is like, yes, going, the other group is like, yes, sacraments, um, and, and they're both here, right, uh, by baptizing. And, and, and we've made this point before, but think of it. Jesus, the king of all creation, comes to his disciples, his chosen 11. He's going to commission them. He's like, you're about to turn the world upside down. And they're like, okay, Jesus, what's the plan? What's the plan? You're going to put water on people. And you're going to put my name on them. And then you're going to gather them. And they're going to worship. And they're going to eat bread. And they're going to drink wine. And they're going to hear a message from you that's really a message from me. Words will be spoken and eventually written down. That's how I'm going to turn the world upside down. How that is contrasted with so much of our world and how we approach church ministry. This is what we call the ordinary means of grace. This is contrasted. There's a, a fake sort of Christian news article titled this, a pastor firing himself out of a cannon from the stage suddenly realizes he's going to have to top this next week. He's like, oh no, <laughs> uh, just that realization. And that's not the kind of mission that we've been given. He has given us the mission. The ship is on its way. He has given us the means. And his power is in them, these ordinary means of grace, as we'll look at the word in a moment. Paul calls it the foolishness of, of the cross, the foolishness of preaching, that weak people would stand up and point to Christ, and that would change people's hearts and lives, bring them to salvation by the work of the Spirit. But here we see this amazing, and we could, we could live here in verse 19, baptizing them in or into the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, here we have an emphasis on identity. Whose we are precedes what we are to do. We are baptized into the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one true and living God, eternally, the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and power and glory. That's who we serve, this triune God, and we are brought into his name. We don't just bear his name or or are allowed to point to the name. We're not just authorized by him to go. We are brought into, into his name, into union with him. That's why one author with the last name of Reeves has a book titled Delighting in the Trinity. And he says this, Michael Reeves says this, The Trinity then is not some awkward add-on to God, the optional extra that nobody should want. No, God is beautiful, desirable, and life-giving precisely because he is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Only here could be found the God who is love, uh, who is love and who shares with us his very own life and joy. Only here could be found the God whom it is eternal life to know. Here and here alone is the God for whom our hearts were made. The God who can win our hearts away from the desires that enslave us and the God who is endlessly, unsurpassably satisfying. So many aspects of the church's mission will end in the new heavens and the new earth. I won't be getting up and preaching like this in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Preaching for the repentance of sin will no longer be needed. Sin will be done away with. Going to the ends of the earth to find those for whom Christ died. No, they will already be gathered, every tribe, tongue, and nation. But what will never end is our call to delight in the Trinity, to worship Him. This is the end of all of our missions, the end of all of our going, is delighting in Him, enjoying Him forever, being brought into the covenant name of God. And so we make disciples by baptizing. Baptism is how, we, how people are brought in. We say that in baptism, God's covenant name is placed upon us. And number three, we've seen that we make disciples by going. Number two, by baptizing. And number three, very, very briefly, not because of lack of importance, but number three, by teaching. By teaching. And, and look at what he says, verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am, with you, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, this ordinary means of grace, a baptism, the Lord's Supper, and, and now the preaching of God's word, that's how he would continue his ministry. And it also gets at sort of that question that we were wrestling with at the beginning. Is is the mission of the church mainly to evangelize or is it mainly to build up the saints that are already in her midst? Is it it going or is it growing? Um, Which which is it? Maybe that camp could come up with another um, fake Christian news title. Local church preparing for third year of a five-year sermon and church-wide Bible study on how to go and make disciples, <laughs> right? That's the caricature on the other end, that we, we could just sit here and sort of look inward 
And even at a passage like this and and say, let's just study it (laughs) when he's calling us to go. Well, of course, you'd say, well, no, it's it's not an either or. Um, uh, Abraham, Arby Kuyper, in his wonderful book, The Glorious Body of Christ, he he, he wrestles with this in a chapter, and he says it, it, it's the dual responsibility of the church to go, to, to grow, to gather um, those who don't know Jesus yet, and then to build them up. And we see both of them here in the Great Commission. He uses the um, example of the Sea of Galilee and uh, the Dead Sea. And he says, as, as maybe you know, uh, the Sea of Galilee receives fresh water from the mountains. And then the Jordan River brings uh, water. Uh, there's a steady flow out of the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea. Uh, the Dead Sea, by contrast, has no outlet. Uh, and so perhaps you've seen videos of people bobbing up and down in the Dead Sea because of the salt content. Uh, nothing is able to live there. And he says the church needs to be, have an influx in at all times and a pouring out at all times. If you cut off one or the other, you cut off the life of the church. And so he says this, the church must maintain a proper balance between its task to the inside and its task to those outside. But this does not mean that it should do a little of each. It rather means that it must do much of both. We see this in the book of Acts, that the word of God preached is, is, is God's chosen means to gather the nations and then to grow his people. And it's all happening at the same time. As I pray, it's even happening now. It, it, in the book of Acts, as you've seen before, Acts 6, Acts 12, Acts 19, many other places, you, it, Luke describes it this way, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Uh, but the word of God increased and multiplied, or, or so that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Uh, the church has been called a creature of the word. We are cre- the, the word creates the church. The word sustains the church. The word sends the church. The word then empowers the church. The word builds up the church. The word then sends out and then builds up and then sends out. It's not one or the other. And yet, if we're honest, every church is better at one or the other. <laughs> and, and I think there should be tension there of saying, where, what are we missing here? Where are we emphasizing something good to the detriment of something else that's essential as well? And perhaps as we meet Wednesday, we can think about that and in, and in the years to come as well. We will always be coming to the Lord saying, Lord, have mercy, forgive us. We are not fulfilling the Great Commission in every way that we can be. Would you teach us, would you help us by your word to know what to focus on even this next year? But friend, I would say that very word is being preached to you today. If you came in this morning and and if someone asked you, do you know Christ? Is Christ your savior? Is he your king who has all authority? Is, Is he the one who died in your place because you deserve sin and death eternally? If you walked in today and you would have said, I don't know, or you would have said, no, I pray now that you would receive this very Jesus. Receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's being offered to you now in the gospel. The ship is in the harbor, as it were. And there's always room as God calls his people by name, calling them to come and find their place with them. Church, we are called to make disciples. 
And this will be the mission for the rest of our time here on this earth. We've been given a great commandment, but Jesus ends with a great promise. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Can you see how the the great commission is founded upon this great covenantal, steadfast love, promise of God, echoed throughout all of Scripture. I will be your God. You will be my people. And Jesus is with us always. You remember another ship that was on that very same Sea of Galilee, right? And the disciples, it was going, making good headway, but the storm started rolling in. And in those days, many, most people didn't know how to swim, including fishermen. The sea was a frightful place. It was death itself. And so as the storm clouds rolled in, as the waves began to batter the ship, the disciples despaired even to death. And where was Jesus? Was he fretting? Was he running back and forward and trying to bucket out the water? No, they thank you. No. He was he was doing what? He was sleeping. <laughs> he wasn't frightened and he wakes up and he comes up on the top of the ship and the disciples are freaking out and he speaks a single word, be still. And the wind and the waves remember his voice from creation and they obey. Christian, we live in turbulent times, do we not? The ship that is the church uh, at times feels like it's on the edge of cracking, breaking. And yet the captain has not abandoned his ship. Jesus is in command. He can speak, be still to the wind and the seas. He could speak that even to your heart. He says that here. Anything we talk about, vision, priorities, even the mission of the church, it's all for nothing unless we have this promise that he is with us always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it's, it's foolishness to the world, and yet uh, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, it's life itself, it's power. It's the power of salvation for those who believe. I pray for our friends here today who are wrestling in their heart whether they would receive and rest upon Christ. I pray that your spirit would your spirit would change their heart, open their eyes to see Jesus as glorious, as wonderful, as, as one offering rest for their souls. I pray for this church as we think of the year ahead and, and the years to come. Would you keep us faithful to your gospel? And would you help us as a church and as individuals be praying for and giving toward the gospel going to the nations and, and loving our neighbors as ourselves and, and sharing this message in life and in deed? Would you make us more and more a church that's pleasing to you? We submit ourselves to you, our, our King and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray.